My name is Jane Kratz and I'm a biblical counsellor working at a young, dynamic and multicultural church in Johannesburg, South Africa. I am also the co-chair for Biblical Counselling Africa. I am responsible for the soul care ministry at Hope Church, providing care and counselling for people in our congregation and more importantly equipping and training others to be involved in Biblical Counselling. The Biblical Counselling Coalition do an amazing job of collaborating with people, ministries and parachurch organisations from all over the world to strengthen the work that they do in counselling faithfully and with excellence from the Bible. By supporting the Biblical Counselling Coalition, you get to be a part not only of making their mission, vision and passion a reality, but also for the ministries that they partner with and serve. As someone who is working in a country where biblical counselling is still in its infancy, I am so thankful for the monthly e-source I receive in my inbox, as well as for the access I have to all sorts of other free resources, podcasts and book reviews, which I can access and use in my ministry, but also share with the people that I am caring for. You will receive far more than you give by partnering with the Biblical Counselling Coalition. So please do consider giving to them. You're listening to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the Executive Director of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of 1514. It's a pleasure to have you listening with us online. If you're brand new to the podcast, be sure to check out our archives. We've got over 100 and uh, I think close to 150 episodes now, so there's lots for you to listen to. If you've been listening for quite some time, we really appreciate that. Either way, I encourage you to jump online, tell us what you think about the program wherever you get your podcast, and, and tell some other people about the podcast as well as the Ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Today, I have joining with me via Zoom, uh, one of the BCC Council members, Dr. Robert Chong. Uh, Robert, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, Curtis, I'm looking forward to my time together with you. Thanks for the invitation. Well, I, I, I'm going to briefly introduce you. I know a lot of our listeners know you, but you have been in biblical counseling for some time, written some books. Uh, the most recent, which we'll talk about today, is a book called Restore. And you and your wife, Karen, have been good friends of, my, of Jenny and I. You have been pastoring and involved at Sojourn and now uh, oversee the strategy and net for the whole network. Uh, and recently, in the last couple of years, also launched a ministry called Gospel Care Ministries. So uh, you wear a lot of hats. Uh, so tell, tell our audience a little bit more about yourself, your family, whatever you want to say to introduce yourself to our audience. Oh, well, Karen and I have been married for over 37 years now, and we never imagined the life that we have now um, because when we got married, we were unbelievers. And mm. it's just been a joy to see what the Lord has had in store for us, but also the privilege that he's given to us uh, to be able to minister. Um, and so we enjoy a ministry together where we share the same office at Sojourn 
and uh, we eat, breathe, and live ministry together. But sometimes that can get in the way of real intimacy <laughs> between <laughs> us as husband and wife. Uh, we can talk more about that later if we need to. But um, we have three grown children, uh, and our oldest daughter is married um, to Jesse and our three grandkids, they, all of them live in Lyon, France. Mm. And so we are excited that they're following the Lord. Um, but it's uh, sometimes we have grandparent pains where <laughs> we just really long to hold them. And then we have a son who uh, lives here and that's also a daughter and son-in-law who lives here in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, so we've been at Sojourn now for almost 15 years now and um, really consider it a privilege to have the, the, the time and experience and just the relationships that the Lord has given us over the mm-hmm. years. And as you may know, pastoring over a prolonged period of time, you really get to see the ups and the downs, but then how the downs can come back up again as mm-hmm. a direct result of the Lord's redeeming work. So Amen. we're very grateful for the life he's given us. No, oh, that's fantastic. And, and tell us a little bit more about uh, Gospel Care Ministries and what you offer there um, through that ministry. Yeah, the Gospel Care Ministry was really birthed out of um, just over the years, specifically probably the past three to four years in which God has given us more and more opportunities to to equip churches across the country. Um, And it it started as a way of collaborating with other churches and pastors and leaders in, in our area of discipleship, care, and community. And uh, it became evident over the years that the Lord um, had more and more um, opportunities for us to come alongside of churches. And the way that the that way that I phrase it is that we're passionate. Gospel Care Ministry is passionate about helping leaders and and God's people to become confident in Jesus Christ as we live in a broken world. So that's our mission statement. And Karen and I just are so grateful to have that opportunity to be invited into other churches and help shepherd them and train them up. And so um, if you want to find more about it, um, you can go to gospel.care. That's the website. And you can see all the different services that we offer. But it's about three to four years old. And it's been a joy to have that um, area of ministry alongside of working in a local church ministry. That's fantastic, and and <clears throat> recently, and I'm sure this has flown out of or flowed out of, not flown out of, but flowed <laughs> out of both the pastoral ministry as well as your work with other churches. You published uh, "Restore: Changing How We Live and Love." Uh, tell us what kind of resources because it isn't just a it isn't just a book, right? Yeah, the study guide um, was the first release, not just like you said, the trade book. But Restore represents uh, years of ministering within the local church. Um, and it predominantly was cultivated within a group's ministry in terms of instead of one-on-one care and counseling, it was really birthed out of how do we care for one another in community as we live life with one another and bear mm-hmm. one of those burdens. And so, um, you know, since we have some time, let me take a moment to give you a little bit of history behind sure. this because it's really it's been a journey for me. In that, you know, when I started serving at Sojourn, um, I was, you know, approaching things and using the resources that are so helpful within our field. <clears throat> um, but I, I noticed that when um, when I reached my first sabbatical, we we have the privilege of having sabbatical every seven years, and in this case, in 2013, I had two months off. And I remember reading 2 Corinthians 3.18, 
And the Lord stopped me in my tracks with that. Um, and it said that when we behold the glory of the Lord, he changes us from one degree mm-hmm. to another. And this is the work of the Lord who is spirit. And I start to think, Lord, is this how you change us? Because up until this time, I'm training people how to really understand the heart, draw out the heart, understand the struggles. And those things are important. Um, but as I've later distilled things down, that um, what's even more important than understanding and drawing out the heart is helping people to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Mm. And so after that sabbatical, after, you know, I, I spent some time um, confessing because I said, Lord, have I messed up your people? <laughs> and, by, and just focusing on the heart as opposed to helping them to put their gaze upon you as well with equal importance, but even more emphasis. Um, I came back after sabbatical and changed all my training. Mm. Um, and I, you know, to the detriment of some of our ministry leaders who said, no, you got to keep some of it. And I said, well, right now I can't think about what we're actually doing. I got to change <laughs> in a radical way for my own benefit. And that's when the really the, the, the beginning of Restore began in 2013, because I shifted the training to helping people to see the beauty and the glory of Christ through his entire story, starting mm-hmm. at creation in the midst of the fall, redemption and consummation. And so um, that is how the the material took its shape and form. And over the years, just working it out to see what has been effective, what's not, what really gains traction with people. Mm. And I guess the overall question that um, I'll end here in answering your question that really captivated my heart when I'm working out this material is that people within the church will tell me, I get the fall, you know, creation, I'm still trying to understand the relevancy of creation. Mm. Um, And I believe in consummation, but that's a long way off. (laughs) Um, What I really need to know now, pastor, is how does Jesus make a difference now? Mm. And so that became my overall emphasis as I developed the restored material. And um, that's just a brief overview in answer to your question. No, oh, yeah, that's good, and and so the the study guide and now also the leader guide and, and workbook is is what's out there and available for people. And you mentioned, uh, you highlighted there the the general overall outline, the creation, fall, restoration, um, <clears throat> redemption, and consummation. What for people who maybe are unfamiliar with that framework? Can you describe? where we get those terms, what that's for, and, and why is that so important? Yeah, that actually describes the meta-narrative of God's story. Um, that There's a lot that's been written about the meta-narrative, mm-hmm. uh, so it's not original with me, but trying to, you know, if we believe that all Scripture points to Christ, um, trying to understand where Christ is in, in, from cover to cover in the Scriptures. And even though we know that God existed before creation, um, he chose to reveal himself, um, you know, starting with creation. But we have snippets of mm. life before creation in the Bible. Uh, one of the, my favorite prayers is John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, where he describes the glory and the love that he experienced before time mm. uh, with the Father and the Spirit. Um, but that's just basically a synopsis. God's story is a synopsis of the gospel story. And so the emphasis that I try to have coming back to your question, I see the restore study guide as much of a discipleship 
resource as I do um, as, a, as, as, a, as a resource for caring for people, but also a resource that small groups can use as well as mm-hmm. they journey, learn how to, to journey with Christ on this side of heaven as they live out their stories. And and you you've mentioned a few times, and it's definitely evident in in the book uh, the concept of story. And you you point to two big stories, so to, so to speak, and then how they interconnect. Talk a little bit more about the what's obviously we get the story, the meta narrative that you talked about, the meta story of God's redemptive plan. What's the other key story that that you that this brings into play? Yeah. The other key story that comes into play, and actually we start with this whenever we're, um, you know, running Restore at our church, is that we start with our own stories. And the reason why that's important is because I've come to understand that um, not only do we live life um, in our story or based on a past, present, and future, but our story with all the events and experiences that we have in our life it tends to shape how we see life. It tends mm-hmm. to shape how we understand ourselves and even understand our relationship with God and with, with one another. And as a result of that shaping influence of our story, it begins to um, shape patterns of how we live and how we love in terms of how we respond to that. And so as a pastor, you know, when I first introduced this back in 2013, I started with God's story <laughs> and people go, this is too conceptual. Um, but then I switched it where we started with, with their own story and then moved to God's story. Mm. And that's when people, um, they were, they were just really desiring to tell their story, uh, because of all the heartache and brokenness. But also I found that understanding the reality of their story gave us so much more concrete traction Mm. to help them to connect with God's story. Uh, and so those are the two stories, as you reference, and um, it's important to understand our stories because, as I mentioned, it tends to distort how we see ourselves and tends to define our identity, et cetera. Um, but the way that I explain it to people as well, the reason why we need to look at our story, but then look at it in light of God's story, is is actually engaging in spiritual warfare. Mm. Because the enemy wants to take all of the evil that we've experienced and the evil that we've done and and leverage it for evil purposes Mm. and to to enslave us or to blind us and to distort our souls. But God wants to take what's meant for evil and use it for good, as Mm. we see in the story Mm -hmm. of Joseph in Genesis 50, 20. And so that's why it's important to um, know and work through our story, because whether we know it or not, the enemy has used it to distort how we see and experience everything in life, even how we see and experience God. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really helpful. Do you, I'm curious when you walk people through, cause you're, you're bringing t- together these two stories. Do you use God's story to help them reevaluate and re- maybe reinterpret um, and then reapply their own story? Or do you see how they fit into God's overall story, or is that both both part and parcel of the of the process? Uh, everything that you said. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> one of the things that we ask them to do when they share their stories is to start with a theme, mm-hmm. and a theme would be how if, if they're looking at just a slice of their story, and we we emphasize in the study guide 
just choose a slice of the story that represents the reality that is most painful, pressing, or persistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and also choose that part of your story that has had the or has the greatest impact on your relationships with God and with other people, um, keeping you from loving. And so when people start with their themes, we we ask them to keep track of those themes as they work through God's story. But when we work through God's story um, at the transition point, after everybody shares their stories, we we tell everybody, hey, we're going to we're going to shift our focus a bit. We're going to we're going to shift our focus primarily on God's story. But what I don't want you to understand is I don't want you to understand that we're going to put aside your story. We're going to minimize your story or or deny your story. But what we want you to do is we want you to keep holding your story before God as you look at his story, starting with creation and then listen for and look for the themes of God's story that counteracts your themes. Mm. Look at, listen for the truths that counteract the lies that you're experiencing, but also look at how God works and lives and invites you to, to, um, to abide with him or to commune with him in such a way that it counteracts um, the way that evil has distorted your soul and also um, the way that um you know, the Lord can restore your soul as well. So that's one of the ways in which we interact the two. But what we say is that uh, as you begin to live more and more in God's story, because I'm, I make it a point that God's story is not something that we merely proclaim or share like we think about in evangelism, mm. but God's story is actually a story in which we live. Yeah. And so God invites us to live with him as he's carrying out, as he's living out, Uh, his kingdom purposes through his story. And so people begin to understand, you know what? The gospel is not something just to know about, but a gospel is something to live. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's when we start to see how God reframes, how they see their struggles and the story. He begins to restore their souls, but also he begins to redeem their stories as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Have you, when you've used this material, I'm sure you've had both believers and unbelievers uh, in the ministry walking through this process. How has that been? Um, how has that been unique for unbelievers? Have you seen? How have you seen them experience this this process? I would say 95 percent of the people are 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 members of the church, mm-hmm. so they're believers. So we have. I have very small database of unbelievers, but in the few that I've had the the pleasure of having a part of the group, um, they walk away with, um, man, I see God differently. Um, I have all these, I've had, I can see that I have some misconceptions about God, um, but I can see God differently. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a story to share with you in which an unbeliever actually came to faith as a direct result. Um, but there's just a huge number of stories in which God's people have um, been restored, but also just um, the, 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 the testimonies that we hear um, have themes. And, and just let me share with you very quickly. When we, have, when we finish a cycle of this, working through all the 13 lessons, we have a celebration. And then we, the celebration is an opportunity to worship together. Um, to read some psalms together, but also to give people an opportunity to testify to what God has done. Mm. And Curtis, um, 
here's the thing, here are the themes of the testimonies that we hear on an ongoing basis. Number one, people will testify, God is real. Mm. Before I went through her store, I just, he, she seemed so distant and, you know, and so sometimes I just really doubted him, but I know that God is real. I know that God is near. I know that God loves me. I, I, God comforts me through his word. And also I need his people. Mm. And so at the end of the day, as a pastor, um, I said, man, that, even though it may sound simple, those testimonies, those are profound when it comes to living out the gospel life in a broken world, yeah. being convinced yeah. that God is near, near and real and that he loves us and that he can comfort us through his word and with his people. Yeah. No, that's really good. Cause I think when we, when we look at scripture and we see God describing his people, the, the imagery and the language that he uses is very intimate and real life. It's a family, it's a body, it's a bride and a husband. And, you know, yeah. it's just so close. And for people, for so many Christians to walk through life, seeing God as aloof or different or other, or like you said, the, the gospel is a story that I'm supposed to hear, understand, and, and share, but not live. Uh, that's a really helpful, um, to help people really connect with the reality of what God describes his people to be is yeah. a, is a really great blessing and really helpful thing. You've, you've had the opportunity to, um, to do a bit of, work around the world too. Have you been able to incorporate Restore uh, in other cultural contexts? And if so, tell me what's that been like? Yeah, we've had the privilege of working with one of our former elders um, who served with the, the, the International Mission Board. Um, and the area of the world in which they're located is North Africa, Middle East. And uh, we've had the privilege of training with them uh, for three years. And during that time, not only were we working with company personnel um, and trying to train up team leaders so that they can develop this culture of a redemptive culture amongst their team members and how to navigate through life in a hard, broken world in a foreign country. Um, but during our time, we've able to, we were able to have people um, from um, nationals from those different countries and even from Asia. Um, and the thing that was so encouraging is seeing how the gospel speaks to every person from every culture, each person, especially when you're dealing with shame cultures, shame and honor cultures, um, they can tend to think that they're the only ones like that. But then mm. you start to help them to see that no shame is, is part of living in a fallen world and how Jesus took our shame and in all the ways that we can experience God and his love in a way that counters that shame. It's, it's universal. Mm. And so, um, some of the feedback that we've gotten, um, aside from the actual text itself, is that, um, you know, this is a great resource for us as well. And we want to bring this back to our church plants in our different countries. Mm. And so that that would be a dream to see um, this, the framework of God's story. And then the other framework that we use is the two great commandments um, as two timeless frameworks that can be applied to every person and to every situation. And the reason why frameworks have never changed is so important, Curtis, is that uh, when you think about discipleship, that means that if you can teach God's people to leverage these frameworks in every situation with every people, if that doesn't minimize anything and doesn't mm -hmm. make anything simplistic, then you're able to replicate more. Yeah. And then you're able to make disciples more and more of how to live confidently 
and boldly in God's love as we live in a broken world. No, it's really, it's really good and really encouraging too. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, obviously scripture is written to you. If there's going to be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered That's around right. the throne. <laughs> That's right. The truth is yeah. what, we, what we do, what we teach, what we say from it better be applicable across the globe too. No, that's good. Yeah. Uh, going back to kind of the concept of story, why do you think story is such an important or valuable, why is it so important to people and therefore kind of a valuable tool in helping uh, people draw near to God? Well, Curtis, I, I would have to think that it's how God designed us, um, but also it's how God revealed himself as well. He revealed himself through story. And and so I, I would have to just conclude that, um, and, and it's evident, isn't it, as we look at the movies, we love good movies, <laughs> yeah. we love good books, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the thing that's inherent to any good story is character development. Mm. And we see that as being consistent and parallel to God's redemptive work in us, you know, Movies that we love is good versus evil, but also um, how you see a character grow and change over time and also um, live and strive to um, focus their time and energy on things that are beyond the, beyond themselves and beyond their little small world. So I really do think that story is inherent to how God created us to relate, but also to understand life as well. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. I mean, I think anybody who's sat through sermons will can't, if they're honest, will testify to the fact that you might, your, your brain might be going somewhere, but as soon as the pastor starts to tell a story, especially a personal <laughs> one, everybody <laughs> reengages. <laughs> good, good, uh, you know, sermon, sermon uh, <clears throat> training 101 is going to tell you, make sure you have good, good illustrations as well. Um, for people who, you mentioned before that the a lot of the context for where you're using restore is is small groups. Um, how can biblical counselors, pastors, small group leaders, others incorporate this uh, material into what they're doing already? Yeah, I think it's a very easy transition for one on one, where you can use it if you want to have the lesson be uh, a homework assignment. Uh, then you can help reflect through that in the following week. Um, when it comes to pastors, um, what what I'm being asked to do, but other churches are asking me to do the same thing, is helping pastors to use the restore framework of God's story and the two great commands as a way of giving common language and common approach to pastor care mm-hmm. and, and ministry. Um, and so it's because we're, we're working with the gospel story and it's all scripturally infused and empowered. Um, it just makes for one way, one system, so to speak, one approach um, that can be used for discipleship and care and community. And um, to sum that up, it can just be used for gospel ministry in any context, in any form, shape, or fashion. That's really good. Would it be um, the kind of thing, I'm just I'm trying to think through practically a lot of biblical counselors we want to get to know people. We want to get their, their really in the context of, of we're talking, their story, right. Uh, yeah. To understand them. And then we do try to do that where we bring them into God's story, understand their life, their history, their background, their present and their future in light of God's plan. That's a great plan. Um, would we, I, I'm just almost wondering, like, should we start, should we start with this and, and kind of walk people through would restore fit as like a good 
tool to use to bring bring out somebody's story, get to know them, and just walk through their problem? And could it be adapted in a sense to whatever their particular struggle is that they're coming in for? Absolutely. Uh, I think it'd be a terrific resource only because we've seen it tested out over the years. Um, lessons one is helping them to start to reframe their story through the lens of the fall. Mm. Lesson one comes strategically before lesson two, which is how to reflect upon and write your story, because we want from the very beginning to start shaping how they even see their story and their struggles. Yeah. Um, but the other reason why I, I suggest that it would be a great resource is because we actually, when we do this in groups, we give people 10 minutes to share their story. Wow. And that's not a lot of time, right? Typically, not your whole life, no. <laughs> no, no, but, all, but also we're asking just a slice of your story. The yeah. reason why we do that is because we know that if they take the most pressing, most mm. painful slice of their story, then apply the gospel story to that, then they just keep doing the same with the rest of their story. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the reason why I think it'd be a great resource, and I'm looking at how do I, um, you know, what's the balance between doing this in pastoral ministry as well, is that if the lesson two provides a very thorough um, but practical approach to thinking through your story and, and reflecting what are the themes, what are the patterns, how is it impacted, how it relate to God, self, and others in a way that once people come prepared, let's say they come back to a counseling session, that they can unpack in a very brief amount of time, the high points yeah. of what's been impacting them and their experiences. And it just saves a whole lot of time, yeah. even though ministry is not about efficiency. Um, it can make the time together more effective. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a good, it's a good word. It's not about efficiency, but there are a lot of people, there's a lot of needs in limited amount of time, right? The harvest, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I think I've heard that somewhere. Uh, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're coming down on on our time. I could we could keep talking about this for a long time. But where where can people find out more? Uh, tell us again the website if people want to connect with you, find out more about Restore the book, but also uh, Gospel Care Ministries. Yeah, absolutely. Check out our website at gospel.care. There's no .com or .org, but it's gospel.care. And if you want to contact me to find out more about any of the ministries or services that we offer. Uh, we have a contact form there. You can select your service um, or you can email me at robert at gospel.care. Fantastic. And Restore, you can sh you can shop all over. Right now, if you go to the BCC website, there's a banner at the, our homepage advertising it. So be sure to check that oh, out wonderful. as well. So yeah, yeah, we're promoting your, your as, Thanks, a, as a benefit of being a BCC council member, we, we like to do that for you all as well. So oh, thanks, brother. Well, we're down to the last two minutes, uh, a segment called Two Minute Favorites, just a fun way for people to get to know you a little bit. Uh, are you ready for this? I am. I'm ready, man. All right. Here we go. What is your favorite food? Um, I break it down to two categories, the food I should eat and the food I don't shouldn't eat. <laughs> <laughs> the food I love to eat is anything grilled, vegetables, soups, anything that's good for you. The foods I shouldn't eat are burgers and pizza and anything greasy. <laughs> Amen. Uh, favorite color? Favorite color, blue, but I also like accents of orange. All right. Favorite sport? None. <laughs> favorite gift ever received? <sighs> favorite gift ever received? It has to be a throwback gift. Um, when my parents gave me my first drum set. 
my only my only set of drumsticks. <laughs> Favorite gift ever given? I would have to say the ring I gave to my wife for engagement. Favorite word? Favorite word is love. Least favorite word? Complex. Favorite book <laughs> of the Bible? Um, John, the Psalms. That's it. I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. Favorite book outside of scripture? Um, Soul Depth, Soul Height by Octavius Winslow. Favorite Bible verse? Bible verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. Favorite candy? Um, almond that, almonds that are covered with dark chocolate and sea salt. You may not think it's a candy, but that's kind of a sweet tooth I have. <laughs> Favorite ice cream flavor? Any flavor that you can put on a hot brownie or a hot pie. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite restaurant? Uh, I would say Wiltshire on Market. That's when I had my first duck meatball, and that's when my son teased me that when I became a foodie because the, the taste just exploded my mouth. <laughs> uh, if you could choose any superpower, what superpower would you choose? Be able to speak any language at any time. Hmm. Favorite animal? Uh, uh, I would have to stick with my Asian roots and say a panda bear. All right. Well, that wraps up our time together. That was really that was really good and entertaining. Well, Robert, thanks again so much for being a BCC council member. Thanks so much for being with us on 1514 today. Uh, good seeing you again, Curtis. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of 1514. If you'd like to know more about the Ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcounselingcoalition.org. You can also contact us at podcast at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to Carrie Felton, our podcast producer, who arranges and coordinates these interviews, and James Wills, our podcast engineer, who does the sound editing and makes these episodes sound so great. I thank you for being with us again and hope you can join us next time on 1514.